Well, good evening. Good to see those who are here in person. Glad to have those of you joining with us uh, there online. Don't forget we're on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, on YouTube, all those different platforms there, the phone live streaming. Uh, thank you for joining us there also. But on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, be sure to give us the thumbs up, the likes, the tweets there, the retweets, the uh, uh, subscribe there to YouTube. Also hit that little notification bell to let you know every time we go live uh, also. I'd encourage you also to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download today's worship bulletin. If you need those in person, I think there's some in the windowsills uh, still, as well as at the doors uh, where you enter and leave. And then we also have the children's worship bulletins. I think there's maybe one left in the windowsill over here, but you can find those also on our website there under that info tab. And while you're there under the info tab, be sure to get your prayer list downloaded for this week. Uh, if you just have it there on your device, you can use it uh, throughout the day as the Lord prompts you to pray. Uh, a lot of specific needs that are on the prayer list there we want to be uplifting. Uh, just to give you one that's not on here, we just got information of tonight, is that Ms. Imogene's daughter, uh, Cindy, uh, had a, what do you want to call it? fainting spell or something like that. They're not sure exactly what all happened yet. They, she is at the hospital. So uh, we want to remember her daughter, Cindy, uh, in your prayers too. So uh, also pray for those that are on the list there. And then don't forget while you're on the church website, uh, you can go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab, and do your online giving there. You can do these in your white envelopes that are in your pews in front of you. And then the pink envelope is for the golden offering for Tennessee Missions. And there on the website, you can also designate uh, to those offerings. And then we mentioned this morning, just want to mention again, uh, we are doing the uh, Angel Tree uh, for the Head Start, Tullahoma Head Start program. Uh, we have angels that have on one side printed, uh, if it's a boy or a girl, uh, and then the items that we want you to get uh, for uh, those kids. So pick you an angel off of the tree. Uh, also on the back of it is a little card. Uh, we want you to just sign, put your name down at the bottom, pull this piece off, place it in the offering plate that's back there on the little table. That way we can know who got which angel and make sure we get all those uh, back. And then you would just take your angel and there's a bag back there uh, that we're providing for you also to put the things in. Uh, you can put those things in it, put your angel in it, attach it to it some way. And that way don't wrap your presents, they are to be unwrapped. Uh, that way we can make sure uh, we got all the things that we needed to on each child's uh, angel there. So be sure to pick up one of those. Uh, we'll be collecting those uh, back uh, in December. And so at the beginning there of December, uh, so you'll want to go ahead and get those and look for the deals <laughs> that are coming up for shopping. Uh, Black Friday's coming soon, so there'll be all kinds of deals uh, that you can get in on to get your angel uh, tree, angel off the tree there. So Brother Mike, come and lead us if you will. Take your hymnals and turn to 64 and let's sing God Will Take Care of You. 64. Ms. Rima? Mm -hmm.
Take your Bibles, if you will, tonight and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12 and verse 22. We're going to pick up from where we left off this morning, and then next Sunday morning we'll pick up again with verse 35. But tonight I've entitled this message, Overcoming Worry, and uh, Johnny set the expectations high this morning. (laughs) Come back tonight to hear about how to overcome worry. So hopefully you'll get something out of this uh, to help you in that area. Uh, But we want to begin with just verse 22, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And we want to stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. So would you please stand? And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word tonight. Lord, what a powerful verse even this one verse is. uh, To remind us, Lord, that there is nothing we need to worry ourselves about. Father, I pray that as we get into this study in this passage tonight, which uh, I pray it will be very vivid, very clear to us, pray you'll speak to our hearts. I pray there'll be nothing in our hearts that will hinder us from hearing your voice speaking to us through your word, especially, Lord, for those who may not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, that they would trust in him so they can have that peace that passes all understanding to not worry about things. Uh, But Father, I pray for those of us who are believers, who many times are bombarded by the things of this world, the cares of this world, uh, the trials and the tribulations. Many times we want to, and just in natural inclination of our soul is to worry. And so Father, I pray tonight you will give us some uh, direction about what we should do, how we should proceed uh, to overcome worry in our hearts and in our lives. So bless your word tonight. Bless each one of us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, there are a lot of things in this world that cause us uh, worry. There's a lot of things that give us concern. Uh, But we shouldn't worry because God is still in control. You know, every one of us thinks about the future, such as what's going to happen this week. Uh, Will I even have a job? Will they cut hours? Will you be able to pay the month's bills? Uh, How long is the car going to last? What are they going to tell me when I go to the doctor next time? How many years do I have left? How much longer will my parents or grandparents live? Will I ever find the right person to get married to? Will my spouse and I be married till death do us part? Or will we get divorced? Are we ever going to have any children? Uh, How can I be a good parent? What are my children going to do with their... uh, What are my children going to do uh, with their future? Uh, what are they uh, going to, where are they going to go to college? Uh, if they go to college, uh, who are my children going to marry? Uh, what do I want to do with my life? You know, we could just go on and on and on with all the things that we find to worry about. You know, 85% of what we worry about never happens. And so a definition of worry is being anxious about something that doesn't exist, but we believe it does or that it might exist. Now, the New Testament word for worry is translated uh, by the phrase to take thought or to be careful. Uh, It comes from a a Greek word which means to have a divided mind, if you will. So to be a worrier is to have your mind divided uh, between legitimate thoughts and thoughts that are not legitimate, thoughts which you shouldn't be thinking. So worry is most of the time future-focused. Most of the time is future-focused. But understand, the future isn't even here yet. So according to the Bible, worry is concern over the unknown, the uncontrollable future. So worrying cannot change the future, nor can it control the future. The issue isn't the future. If it's how we approach the future. Uh, there's only two ways we can approach the future. It's either with fear or with faith. 
And if we approach the future with faith, uh, then understand this. It's almost like you're walking underneath the umbrella, if you will, of God's protection. As long as you're under the umbrella of God's protection, you can have assurance everything's going to be fine. But if you're out from under the umbrella of God's protection, you have now placed yourself in a position that's a predicament that you do have reason and cause to worry. And so uh, when we do that, we're inviting the enemy uh, to begin taunting and tempt us and, and warning us about the disasters just around the bend. The difference between worrying in fear and walking by faith is the difference between living and just being alive, just getting by. So we need to understand what Jesus is talking about here when he says don't be anxious or don't worry. Uh, Jesus said it was wrong to worry. Over and over again, Jesus tells his disciples, Jesus tells us, don't worry. Uh, but let me tell you what don't worry doesn't mean. Don't worry doesn't mean don't plan. It doesn't mean don't plan. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, Jesus said it this way when he said this same section here in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now when you read that, it almost sounds like don't think about tomorrow, which is not what it means. Jesus himself certainly planned. And the scriptures support the idea of being responsible in our approach to the future. Not worrying is not the same as not planning. Secondly, Jesus is not saying don't be concerned. There's a big difference there. Because we're not just to coast through life with, with indifference, ignoring the realities around us. There are plenty of things in life to be morally and spiritually and practically concerned about as a Christian. But not worrying is not the same as not being concerned. So when Jesus says don't worry, he doesn't mean don't plan. And he doesn't mean don't be concerned. He means don't get so worked up so anxious, so over-concerned about things that you have no control over that it begins to paralyze you and those who are depending upon you. And that so often happens because worry and anxiety, understand this, they change nothing except you, the worrier. It's, and it's always in a negative way. So I want you to see, first of all here, the obstacle of worry, the obstacle of worry. And, and we'll see several of these. We'll see here about worry. First is that worry is unreasonable. Worry is unreasonable. So let's look at verse 22 and then continue on into verse 23 again. So he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So he's telling us here that worry is unreasonable. That doesn't make sense to say that God has already done the biggest job. What's the biggest job? That he created us. He created our body. He created our life. Uh, he saves our soul. Uh, but then that he would fail to do the smaller job, providing what we need to live uh, the life that he's given us. And, and so it doesn't make sense to say that if God's already done the big thing, that he won't do the smaller things. Uh, that would be an argument from the greater to the lesser. Uh, God obviously knew what it would take for our bodies, uh, like, for our bodies like, our cell, like ours to exist, whether that's food to eat or, or clothing on our back or shelter. It's, so it's completely inconsistent with a wise and loving character of God to think that he did one thing without also doing the other. That he created us, but he says, okay, now you're on your own. He's created us, and he provides for everything you need. Now, maybe not always things you want, but he provides for everything you need. So when we worry about our future provision for food or clothing or shelter, I remember when, uh, when I was younger, my father had passed away when I was five, uh, and my mom was uh, subsisting on a, uh, on a 
military salary, uh, death benefits, uh, with three boys and uh, trying to provide food and clothing and shelter over our heads. And there were many times she didn't know how she was going to pay the bills. And I know there'd be many times we would go to town to get a few things and we'd come back and somebody would leave a bag of groceries uh, on our doorstep. I remember there were times that me and my brothers uh, had talked to her about breaking up our piggy banks. We didn't have much in them to start with, but breaking open our piggy banks to help her pay the bills. Uh, it wouldn't have paid the bills, but we thought that we had enough in there that could help. You know, sometimes we worry about those things. Where's food going to come from? Where am I going to have clothes? How am I going to pay uh, the, 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 the rent? How am I going to pay uh, the, the, the loan for the house? You know, we're actually, when we do that, we're actually putting down the character of our God. We're saying, when we do that, God is not able to provide. Understand this, our bodies, our lives are clear evidence that God is a creator and a provider. For him not to feed and not to clothe us and not to shelter us, uh, that which he has created doesn't make sense. So, so we see that worry is unreasonable. Also, worry is unfounded. Because notice what verse 24 goes on to say. He says, okay, think about this. Consider the ravens. Now, what would you think of as ravens for us here? Do you ever see ravens? You'd think of crows around here. And they're, they're always a nuisance, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're, uh, so, so get the idea of what he says here. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't go out to the field and, and, and dig up the dirt and plow the dirt and sow some seeds to grow things so they can be able to eat. He says, they neither sow nor do they reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So the previous verse answered the question of whether God is able to provide. Now Jesus takes up the question of will he provide? Because he argues here from the lesser to the greater. In other words, what he says is if God provides for something as simple as raven birds or a bunch of crows that fly in the air, won't he also provide for you? And so it's an irrational logic there to think that he wouldn't. When you read in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 to 31, Jesus said, you remember we, we even talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus said that two sparrows can be bought for a copper coin. Luke 12 verse 6 that we read earlier also says that five sparrows can be bought for two pennies. And, and you remember that they throwed in the fifth one for free. So it appears that the market for sparrows was buy two for a penny, but if you buy four, we'll throw in the fifth sparrow for free. And, and Jesus is saying that not even the most inexpensive and smallest part of God's creation can change their status without it being a part of his will. And, and you remember he even used that illustration of the very hairs on your head. So if tiny things like sparrows and ravens and, and, and hair are under his watchful eye and under his concern, how much more are we who are the pinnacle of his creation? And so the question is, will he care for us? And the answer is, of course he'll care for us. So notice also that worry is unproductive. Worry is unproductive. Go on to verse 25. He says, and which of you, by being anxious or by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So he says, not only is worry unreasonable, not only is worry unfounded, it is also unproductive. Because notice verse 25 and what it says there. Uh, how can worrying add anything to your life? The answer is it can't. 
Worry is totally ineffective when it comes to improving or changing our, our circumstances or our prospects for the future. And so Jesus uses uh, some illustrations here. Uh, he uses time as an illustration to make his point. Uh, and he's talking about hours there, the, the biblical standard in days there to measure days. And so Jesus is, is asking in essence, how many of you can sit there in that chair and worry all day about your, uh, he uses one illustration about your height, or, or how could you add an hour to your life? And the answer again is nobody can. You could worry all day and not change one thing about yourself, except you might get a little more gray hair. Jesus meant something deeper than just the issue of time or even height. Remember he says also, uh, could you add, by worrying, could you add a cubit? That's about 18 inches. That's about from the tip of your fingers down to your elbow. Can anybody add that kind of height to yourself by worrying about it? It's absurd. No, N not at all. So the answer obviously was no. Uh, so he's referring to the, the height. He's also referring to the length of one's life. Who by worrying can add any length to his life is what verse 26 says. And the answer is nothing. No, no one can. So in fact, the opposite is probably already true. Because think about this. Cemeteries are no doubt filled with people whose lives were shortened by worry. They worried about everything. You know, doctors are discovering more and more the negative effects of worry and stress and anger and anxiety on the human body. Instead of lengthening your life, worry might even shorten it. So worry doesn't change tomorrow, uh, but it sure changes today. Worry robs you of the strength and the ability to enjoy the gift of life today that God wants you to enjoy. And then also notice that he goes on to say that worry is unsound. It's unsound. Notice verse 27 and verse 28. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So here in this illustration, Jesus turns to nature, the beautiful lilies of the field, which God clothes in splendor, and he does it year after year after year. The point that Jesus is making here ought to be more obvious to us even today than it was to his disciples. Solomon was the richest man and the most beautifully dressed king in the world, and yet Solomon, in all of his grandeur, in all of his golden glory, couldn't compare to that delicate beauty of the flowers of the field who are clothed effortlessly by God every spring. It's logical to think that God who clothes the flowers in splendor, won't he also clothe those who he has created? It just stands out to me. Notice what he says there. Consider the lilies. That's what he says in verse 27. But then you get down to verse 28. And he says, if God so clothes the grass. So he goes even below where the lilies are. He goes down to the very grass, the thing we uh, hate to mow all the time. He, he goes down to the very grass and he says he clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow it's thrown into, uh, into the oven. If he clothes even the grass, how much more will he do it for you? So Jesus' argument here. He's saying here, won't he clothe those whom he's created? And it's yes. This argument that he's making here is if we think that he'll clothe the lilies and he'll clothe the grass, how much more would he do that for us? And so it's an unsound argument that people were making why they should worry. And so Jesus' argument is based on nature, that which God himself took the initiative to create and to clothe. I want you to take a, a moment and look at uh, Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, down through verse 9. And look at the way the psalmist describes God's creation. 
He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, when I look at the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you, take, that you care for him? Yet you have made him, you've made us the creation of man, mankind, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In other words... If we as mankind are the pinnacle of creation, we ought to expect that God would assume the responsibility for providing for our every need, including, including our clothing as well. Notice also that worry is ungodly. You say, what do you mean, preacher, that it's ungodly? Well, it's not of God. It doesn't come from him. <clears throat> Notice verse 29. Verse 29 says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Now there's a lot in those two verses. We won't get into everything, but I want to get into the big points here. Notice this, what happens to worry. Worry that controls you, worry that paralyzes you, is not from God. Notice what Jesus compares here. Jesus compares those who are a part of Israel who worry about the future to the Gentiles of the world. He's comparing Israelites who are worried about the future to the Gentiles or to the world. Gentiles were pagans. They were heathens of the world. They were idolaters or, or atheists. They either worshiped wood or stone idols or no God at all. And they had every right to be worried about the future. But what he's saying is if you're a part of the family, if you're a part of God's children... You, you claim to have a personal relationship with the creator, God of heaven and earth. Worrying is a complete contradiction of what we say we believe. Because to worry is to act like there is no God who has promised to take care of us. When you're worrying, you're acting no different than the world who has a reason to worry. Because they don't serve the living God. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians don't have temporary worries. Uh, ask any parent who's raised teenagers. You have worries uh, all the time. The key is to take those momentary worries and use it as a springboard, if you will, to a mature spiritual response. So, so having worries are going to initially come and, and, and come to us, to every one of us. Having worries in that respect is, is okay. Letting it move in... And letting it take control, that's where the problem comes. And when we make worry our constant companion, we betray our spiritual heritage. But notice how Jesus concludes this section. He says, your father knows that you need them. So notice the first comparison. You Israelites, you're being compared to the Gentiles, to the world. But he says, your father, that means you children, your father knows that you need those essential things. Jesus knows what, that worry is a problem of living in this fallen world. But he wants us to learn that worry is incapable of getting us safely to the future. There's a safer way for us to get there. And that's to defeat worry, to overcome worry by seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. In fact, that's what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first my kingdom and, his, and seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all the necessities of life will be added unto you. So how do we overcome worry? Uh, that's our second point that we want to look at. Overcoming worry. And we find this in verse 31 down through verse 34. 
and we'll begin with verse 31 in just a moment here, but uh, there was a story I read about a man who was fleeing the hospital, uh, down the halls of the hospital just before his operation, and uh, the receptionist said, what's the matter? He said, I heard my nurse say it's a very simple operation. Don't worry. I I'm sure it'll be all right. And the receptionist said, well, she was just trying to comfort you. What's so frightening about that? He said, well, she wasn't talking to me. She was talking to the doctor. That, that's a reason to worry. That's something to worry about. To overcome worry, what we need to do are two things. Here's the first. To overcome worry, we need to realign our priorities. Realign your priorities. If you are the center of your life, if you are the priority in what you want and your desires, you're going to have lots of worry in your life. Because there's nothing you can do to fix all the problems. You can't spin the plates fast enough to keep them spinning on the sticks going around uh, with all the things that happen in life. Much of the worry that destroys people is the worry of a divided heart. Look at verse 31. He says, here's what you need to do instead. Instead of worrying, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So understand that he's saying the divided heart destroys people. A divided heart cannot decide what it believes and so therefore how it's going to live. It, it gets caught up in every wind of change that blows through society. Stock market's up today, I'm worried. Stock market's down, or stock market's up, I'm not worried. Stock market's down, I'm worried. You know, it constantly back and forth, back and forth. Uh, oh, it looks like businesses are closing up, shops are closing up. Oh no, there's new businesses coming to town. And it's this back and forth on your emotions. And, and that's what a divided heart does. It can't decide what it believes and how it's going to live because it's always getting caught up in every wind of change that blows through the world. You know, a person without priorities will constantly find their heart being captured by and worrying about everything that might be. Jesus says, realign your priorities to focus in on only one thing in life, the kingdom of God and what it stands for. When you begin to do that, everything else in life will begin to fall into place according to the will of God and according to his provision. Now, do, does that mean you're not going to be challenged in that thought? I, I think you're probably going to be challenged in those thoughts even more when you're trying to reorganize your priorities and realign your priorities to the, to the kingdom of God. The devil's going to send things into your life to, to try to get you distracted, to get you worried, to get you off focus from the main priority, and that's seeking God's kingdom, God's will. So know this, the king takes care of those who dwell in his kingdom. We worry because we don't seek God first. The reason we worry is because God is not our first priority. Not only do we worry about the future, we worry about worrying about the future. Worry becomes this vicious cycle that we don't seem to be able to break. And the only way to stop it is to jump off that merry-go-round of worry and ask, what is the most important thing for me? What is the most important thing for me? If your answer is that God is the most important thing, then you're ready to make a clean break with worry. Secondly, to overcome worry, we not only need to realign our priorities, we also need to focus on today. Understand this, everything that has happened in your past, there is absolutely nothing you can do to go back and undo it. What happened, happened. So no matter what it is, it's happened. You can be forgiven of it. Uh, you, can, you can have that, if it's sin, it can be cast as far as the east is from the west. But the fact is, you still did it. There is nothing you can do to undo the past. Think about the future. I don't even know what the future is going to bring. Tomorrow may be the best day we've had in 100 years in the stock market. Tomorrow may be the, the brightest, sunshiniest day we've had in all of our life. It may be the worst day you've ever lived. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So why worry about tomorrow? So notice this. This final verse is here in this section holds what I think is really the key to understanding 
how to overcome worry. Notice verse 32 down to verse 34, and then we're going to jump back to Matthew and see how Jesus finishes this in the Sermon on the Mount. So in verse 32 he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Whoa, wait a second, then how am I going to live? And we start worrying, don't we? If I've got to give to the needy, what about me then? Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven, in the heavens, that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In Matthew, in chapter 6 and verse 34, here's the way Jesus says it. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So no one ever sank under the burdens of today. But when you add yesterday and tomorrow and all those worries to today's worries, it's enough to sink your ship. If you're worried about the past and you're worried about the future and you bring all that to all these worries you're going to have today, it's going to sink your ship. So, so don't dwell on tomorrow. That's what he tells us. Don't dwell on tomorrow. What Jesus teaches here probably has its roots all the way back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and the end of verse 25 where he says, as your days, so shall your strength be. As your days, so shall your strength be. In, in other words, that is, you will have strength from God as the events of your day require. If you're seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness, he's going to give you the strength to get through what you're going through right then. He's not worried about yet tomorrow. Let's just get through this thing right here, right now. So you'll have the strength from God for the events that your days require. God promises to take care of today and that we're to trust him for his provisions for today. So we need to stop worrying about tomorrow so that tomorrow doesn't sap today of its strength and of its joy. But we also need to stop worrying about our yesterdays, those days which are already in the history books and cannot be changed. Don't dwell on yesterday. So don't dwell on tomorrow. Don't dwell on yesterday. Uh, notice what he's saying here. Uh, there are three things that people worry about when it comes to yesterday. Faults, fame, and failures. Or guilt, gains, and grief. And every one of those things is unchangeable. We worry about yesterday's faults or yesterday's guilt. But when we come to Christ, and maybe out of a background that's been stained by sin, we often have sometimes a difficulty in, in putting the memories of those things out of our minds. And remember that God has put our sin as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 and verse 12. You know, sometimes we agree, we say, I believe God has forgiven me, but we can't forgive ourselves. And if we've asked his forgiveness, then understand that you cannot live in the guilt and the shame of yesterday. We also worry about yesterday's fame or yesterday's gains. Sometimes we worry about our past fame and gains. We, we rest on the laurels of yesterday. Uh, we have sometimes a, a hard time switching priorities and focus. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was a young Jewish scholar. He was on the fast track of success as a Pharisee until that day that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He closed the door on his past successes. If you read Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, do you remember what he says there? Forgetting those things which are behind. Forget about those things that are behind. Ask God for forgiveness of it. Forgive yourself. Receive that forgiveness yourself. And forget about those things which are behind in order that you might focus on Christ and on his kingdom. Because if you're constantly having to deal with, with worry about and guilt and shame back here and fame back here, 
that's going to keep you divided from being focused on Him, to be focused on Christ. We also worry about yesterday's failures, about yesterday's grief, and that may be the hardest. Because we, we sometimes we, we put aside our faults and our guilt. We put aside our fame and our gains. But those failures and, and that grief lingers on after tragedies and heartaches. Uh, and it's often difficult to leave that behind. Uh, we've, we've hurt and we've been hurt. And it hurts even more to let go uh, of that place where sorrow lives in, in our heart and in our soul. Some people have lived for so long with that sorrow and that grief in their heart and their life, they don't know how to function without it. They keep living in it. And it keeps bringing them down from where God wants them to be. What we have to learn is to live in the presence of God Almighty, who knew a greater sorrow and who knew a greater grief and a greater hurt than we could ever have felt. He lost his only son as a sacrifice to your undeserving sin. He didn't deserve to die on that cross for you. You deserve to be on that cross. And yet God lost his only begotten son on that cross as a sacrifice for our undeserving sin. He knows your every pain. He knows your every longing. God sees the hurt in your heart like nobody else can. And you may think, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody feels the pain that I'm experiencing. But know this, God does. God knows. He knows your feelings. He knows your frustrations. He's seen the crisis in your soul. And there's no hurt that goes unnoticed by God. We've read this verse in, in, in recent days, Psalm 56, verse 8, that says, you have, count kept, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Often, when we're hurting, we feel very isolated. Sometimes we feel lonely. Maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe there's a divorce. Maybe we've gotten fired and, and we start to think nobody understands what I feel. Nobody can, can, can tell the way I feel. Nobody feels the pain. But God knows. God knows. God not only sees, He cares. Psalm 103 and verse 13 says this, Like as a father shows compassion... To his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, I don't know what your father was like growing up. Your father may have been the worst rascal there ever was. But the Father God shows compassion to his children. He shows compassion to those who fear him. Because the God not only sees what's going on in your life, he cares. He knows the causes. He knows the reasons, the things that brought you to this point. And, and he understands because he made you. He made you. And he sees that hurt in your heart like nobody else sees it. Because God knows our frustration. He knows our despair. Because he knows those things, it, we can give those feelings to God. He already knows it. In fact, that's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your anxieties, all your worries, all your cares on him because he cares for you. That means give all your worries, give all your cares to God because he cares about what happens to you. Cast all those things permanently on God once and for all. And then don't take them back. Don't deny your sorrow. But don't let it control you today. Understand this, as Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the great I am, not the great I was, or the great I will be. He is the great I am in the present. And so for the Christian who lives with Christ today in the present tense is the one who will be free from worries about yesterday, today, 
or tomorrow. If you'll realign your priorities and you'll put your focus on Him, He will see you through to the other side to help you to overcome those worries. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is probably one of the most difficult things for many of us to do. Lord, we struggle with the things of the past, and yet there's nothing we can do to undo those things. And so often we're carrying around the baggage of the past that is weighing us down, keeping us from running the race that you have set before us. And so, Father, I pray tonight as we look into our hearts and we see ourselves the way you see us, Lord, that we would know we're valuable to you. You care about us just like you care about the smallest things on this earth. You care even more for us. And so, Father, I pray that we would realize that truth and live in that truth and we would realign our priorities in this life. And, Father, I pray that we would begin to focus on today, not the past, not worrying about tomorrow because we don't know what that's going to bring anyway. We just know the one who holds tomorrow. So, Father, I pray that we'll find comfort and peace and strength in that, in knowing that you have forgiven us and walked with us through the past, that no matter what's happened in our past, you have brought us to where we are today, and you want to do a great and mighty work in our lives today. Father, I don't know what opportunities we may have let pass by us today. Father, we may have let some opportunities pass us by to share the gospel, to reach out to others, because we're so burdened down with our own problems and our own worry. And that's right where the devil wants us. So, Father, I pray that we would realize that and we would come tonight as believers to realize we don't have to be bound in that worry, the worry of the past or the worry of the future. Today has got enough worries of its own. So help us to live in this day, in this moment that we have. And Lord, should you grant us another day to wake up tomorrow to the sun shining again, Father, I pray that you will help us to remember this truth and to live moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, seeking to live in your presence. And Lord, may you empower us and free us from worry so that we can live in the truth that you've called us to live so that we can run the race that's set before us and father i pray that we will forget those things that are behind and that we would press forward to the future that is before no matter what it may bring trusting you that you will see us through lord thank you for these truths tonight give us that strength to just begin this moment this day to implement these truths and these practical steps into our life. And Lord, I pray that you'll give us the victory over worry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 321, The Savior's Waiting. Brother Mike, come and lead us. so much for being here tonight. Thank you for joining us uh, online and by our phone live streaming. 
Uh, we'll be back Wednesday night, back in the book of Revelation. So I want to encourage you to come and join us in person if you can. Uh, help spread the word about Awana too. We've got some things going on there. We actually start this Wednesday uh, back with our meal for other church people. So there is a sheet out here to sign up if you're going to plan to eat Wednesday night so we can make sure we have enough food for everybody. Be sure to sign up uh, on that sheet on the board, uh, and it's going to be a great meal. Uh, we've got prime timers coming up. Uh, too, so we're looking forward to that too. We're just going to keep eating and fellowshipping, aren't we? <laughs> That's what we're good to do as Baptists. But glad to have you with us. We'll see you back this Wednesday, 6 o'clock. You have a blessed week, and we'll see you later.